you would, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Had a good, good time down in Maryland, had a good time uh, talking with Brother Grooms, uh, that would be Melanie's and Brother Andrew's uh, former pastor, uh, and they... Uh, uh, they have, Brother Netterville has Bibles stored there and to be able to ship out on the East Coast. And so we didn't have to pay for shipping. I just threw them in the SUV. We had to restock after all the Bible handouts we've done. And so we got 200 more Bibles to go through, all right? So let's see if we can get those out. Uh, I do want to do another one of those, hopefully before the year closes out. Maybe the first, trying to figure out if the weather is going to cooperate or not. Uh, but if we could do it the first Saturday, Friday, Saturday in October, that may work well. But uh, I'm trying to work that out with Brother James and see if we can get things scheduled up. So I'm looking forward to doing one more of those before we close out the year. Uh, it's awfully hard to hand out Bibles when it's snowing. So uh, for some reason, the Bibles get ruined. The people don't normally stop, you know, that kind of thing. You look a little too crazy. Uh, I'm all right looking crazy, but that's a little... Too crazy, all right. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 is where we are. And, uh, I mean, you can read a whole bunch of this because Paul's uh, really good at using colons and semicolons. Uh, so there's lots of verses. You can get all the way back to verse number 21 and uh, try and pick up all of the context. Uh, I will not do that for the sake of time. Uh, I'm going to read a lot of different places this morning. Uh, but he says, uh, verse number uh, 26, talking about the Word of God coming. He says, even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages, uh, from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. Uh, this mystery that he's talking about here, he gets to verse 27. Uh, the saints know about it, they openly know it. What do they know? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Uh, this comes about as the mystery, ultimately. He's calling it the mystery. Uh, there's a lot of mysteries. There's seven of them in the scriptures, ultimately. Uh, and this one is the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is it that Christ can be in me and in, you know, Brother Davis over here and, you know, my mom and, and Brother Getman and, everybody, and all of you? <laughs> How can he do that? How can he do that? <laughs> that doesn't seem normal. And so the idea of, well, how could Christ be in all of us and work in all of us and have his spirit inside of us and do all those things? And what does it mean to even have that? Now, we understand that we got that at salvation. When we believed that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, we understand that we were sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise. We understand we were given exceeding great and precious promises that were given to us about how wonderful it is to have a Savior who secures us forever, that our sin in this life is paid for forever 
that we don't have to worry about whether we could lose it or not lose it or all the things that we are secured and safe and knowing that Jesus Christ is our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who paid the debt of all of our sins and the one who made sure that our salvation was secured, not just if we're okay and if we're good and we behave ourselves, but because Jesus Christ finished the work at Calvary, rose again to prove his victory, he went ahead and gave you and I victory for all eternity. The day you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you got part of this mystery. You became a saint, right? It's given to the saints. Well, what's a saint? Well, one is a saint is just declared righteous by God. He's somebody who is righteous. We understand our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We're wicked, vile sinners. <laughs> we, we aren't very good. We aren't right. We've never been, right? We are, we are wicked people ultimately. Uh, I was talking with somebody, I don't know, Brother Jared, was I doing that with you? Uh, with the number of sins, right? We were, we were talking about it. I've done that before, right? Uh, one sin per day, right, for your entire life. We go, well, I'm not so bad, right? That's the idea. The idea is we're not so bad because we're so good as a human being. Because we're not Hitler, right? As the automatic equation, I am not Hitler, so obviously I deserve heaven. That is a super low bar for heaven. <laughs> right? As long as my righteousness would exceed the righteousness of Hitler, I deserve heaven. That's the way they go. They go well, I'm better than him, so, okay, so is probably 99% of the people who have breathed the breath. That doesn't mean they get into heaven. What you needed to realize was that one sin per day, I'm going to do simple math because we're not, we, I don't have a calculator right here, uh, right? 400, we'll, go, we'll act as if there's 400 days in a year, so it's rounded up, right? 365, I know, is not the same as 400. But, you know, since most of us in here probably have sinned more than once a day, we'll just round to 400. 70 years, if by reason of strength, four score. So we'll go 70, just, you know. Average lifespan, 70 years. That's 28,000 sins that everybody in this room has committed in their lifetime. At one a day. Now you and I both know. Yeah, right. One a day. One a day? Come on. So we'll go one an hour, and since I went over on the other number, I'll go under on this number, and we'll multiply by 20. That's... 560,000 sins at approximately one an hour in your lifetime. How many of those you think Jesus Christ was like, well, that's too many? Because you and I both know we go more than one an hour. Some days it feels like one a minute. That's <laughs> what it feels like, maybe not, but... Boy, sometimes you do one thing and it equals all ten of them, right? I mean, like, well, I broke one commandment, but I got all ten all at once. That's great, yeah. Overachieving. That's how wicked we are, but we don't want to see that. We go, yeah, but I'm good compared to... Yeah, but you're not good compared to Him. Jesus Christ is the one who's clean. And when you got saved, you know what He had to do? He had to take your wicked filthiness... And take it upon himself at Calvary and wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He had to become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And when we trusted Christ, he goes, all right, I paid your debt of sin. It's all clean and I've washed you. And what can wash away my sin? Well, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the cleanliness comes and he washes away that filth and he goes ahead and he makes a clean vessel to put his own Holy Spirit inside of you. Because otherwise you couldn't have him in there. And God washes us and he cleans us and he does that. But now that he's in us, it makes a big change in how we're supposed to be. Now we don't all do what we're supposed to do and we aren't all what we're supposed to be and we don't behave every moment of every day. But with Christ in you, that mystery that he had hid through the ages, that mystery of the church that he was trying to hold on to and make sure nobody would figure out so that he could reveal it in his time and go ahead and make it so that he could put his spirit inside of a wicked person. He goes, I've done that now it makes it possible for you and I to live the Christian life. Too many people in this life, their answer is, well, I can't live that. I can't do that. I, how do I even do that? I mean, don't I have to clean up my life first before I come to Him? Well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, don't I have to clean up my life entirely before I can serve Him or do anything for Him? Well, it doesn't work that way either. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume the majority of you, if not all of you, are saved in here. I won't ask you to raise your hands, although if we did, actually, yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, it's Jan, from January to today, how many people have sinned? I made it nice and easy for you, right? I mean, here we are, right? Okay, question. I hope you can all do this too. From January to today, how many of you have done something for Jesus Christ and He used you in some way? You made a prayer request, you, you prayed and you asked Him to do something. See, we're all wicked <laughs> by ourselves. But when He put Christ in you, He made a huge change to what you can be. And so this morning, I'm going to preach on what it means to have Christ in you. What does that mean for me? What can we do now that we couldn't do before? And well, we'll get into it real quick here in just a moment. Let's have a word of prayer. I need it and uh, we'll get started. Father, I thank you for the day and I thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonder it is that you could save to the uttermost. Father, it doesn't matter how low we are. It doesn't matter how far down we had gotten. You pull us up and you go ahead and wash us and clean us and put us on a rock and establish our goings. Or what a wonder it is to have a Savior, and I do pray that everybody in this room does. Father, if not, I pray they'd call upon Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior. And Father, I know you'd gladly save him today if he'd call. Lord, I pray you would bless our service this morning. Give me clarity of thought and mind. I pray that my thoughts and my words and my actions and everything that I do and say would bring praise, honor, and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's only worthy. And Lord, once again, we pray Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. I pray you draw us all close to our Savior today. We love you. We pray you'd come back soon. What a wonder it'd be to hear a trumpet sound come up hither and we get to go see our Savior finally face to face. But Lord, if not, I pray you would help us to utilize and live and do what you've asked of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this mystery, Christ in you. 
Well, what has that done for us? Let's go over to Galatians chapter 2. We'll stay mainly in these epistles right here. I'll reference a lot of other things, but familiar spots. We're not going to go to weird spots or anything unfamiliar to you. I don't, I don't think that's ever necessary uh, to give you some weird random spot just so it looks cool on paper, all right? Uh, Ephesians, uh, Galatians chapter 2, you all know verse 20. It's been a memory verse for years, right? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, let's look at this real situation right here. This is the situation. The situation is you either live by the faith of the Son of God and you do it his way, or you don't. <laughs> you do it your old ways. The life we're supposed to live is one that is separated from our old life. A lost man can't do that. Without Christ being in you and the Holy Spirit of God giving you liberty and guidance and understanding, you can't do what he asks you to do. Right? So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They don't know how. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are foolishness unto him. He doesn't understand. The lost man, you're giving the gospel to a lost man. How many times do you give the gospel to a lost man? He looks at you with that blank stare. And you're like, I used single syllable small words. I didn't even use crucifixion because it's too long, man. I, I dumbed this thing down. How do you not see it? And they go, yeah, but I'm good. And you're like, didn't I just explain you're not? You're not good. And they go, huh? They don't get it. They don't understand it. But you do. If you're saved, you understand. I wasn't good. I called on Jesus Christ. I got saved. The light bulbs came on. The Lord gave you that wisdom. He gave you that light. You've put faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's how you got saved. Now I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now it's I live by the same faith that I put in when I trusted Him. The situation is, John chapter 15 and verse number 5, without me, ye can do nothing. We cannot do anything outside of Jesus Christ, except for one thing. I thought he said nothing. You can fail. Think about it. The lost man without Jesus Christ, what does he do? He spends eternity in a lake of fire. That's a failure. The Christian that goes ahead and walks in his flesh and the lusts of his flesh and the desires of his flesh and of his mind becomes a child of disobedience, a child of wrath, and he's a complete disgrace ultimately to the cause of Jesus Christ. That's a failure. You can make all the money you want to. That's a failure. The failure is that without him you can do nothing. Nothing just means you can do anything you want to, but you'll fail at everything if you don't have me. The sad truth is, that's the way a lot of people minister. They say, well, I can do something for the Lord. I'll do it my way, and I'll do it how I want to, and I'll do it in my timing, and it'll all be me. And when it's convenient for me, I can do it. That's not living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The reality is, we can do a whole lot of things. The situation is, you and I oftentimes... Don't do what we're supposed to do because we're not walking in the Spirit. Instead, we're going ahead and we're doing whatever we want 
so that we can go ahead and get some praise or glory or honor in our own way. He says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you. God works in you, both to do, uh, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Uh, I enjoy, well I did, <laughs> I don't go there anymore uh, since the beginning of the month, uh, last month. And, uh, but Chick-fil-A, right? It's Chick-fil-A. You go in, you pull in. They're the nicest, most polite people at the drive-thru, at the counter. And their answer is, they hand you the stuff, and you say thank you, and they say, our pleasure, or my pleasure. You realize everything you do is for his pleasure? Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When you live by the faith of the Son of God and you trust Him because you're listening to Christ in you, it makes it possible for you to bring Him pleasure. To will and to do. How do I know what God wants me to do? you got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can figure that out. Uh, strange, strangeness that we listen to. And, and I don't know if maybe some preachers got involved on this idea and they started making things more complicated and different things. I've heard different things. I don't know. Uh, but this idea of, well, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. We made this so abundantly complicated and you better make sure. And if, if God's not called you, then you know it's going to be a train wreck and you're all going to die. Uh, and I agree. It's going to go poorly if you don't do things that God asked you to do. But do you realize how many men stepped out on faith and said, God, I don't know for sure this is you, but I think it might be. And if not, just close a door. How many places did Paul get doors slammed in his face and didn't go the right direction and went, oh, okay. I thought you wanted me to do it. Think you know what he wants you to do. But God's not going, well, I'm going to hide this for a while. See how bad he wants it. If he doesn't really want it, good. I didn't want him anyways. No, he's going, hey, I want you, doesn't he want you to please him? Doesn't he want you to understand and have the ability to gain the victory? Who wants you to live a better life, him or you? Well, he does. He wants the absolute best for you. Why would he disguise it? They've made the idea, some folks make the idea of the will of God as this some weird mystical thing that's out there that eventually if I wander through the forest, I'll come to this bamboo patch and I'll go ahead and see the greatness of God and the blue light will shine. It'll be amazing. And God will speak to me. No, it's in the pages of a Bible. Turn the pages of a Bible and the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and you go through, and you do all those things, and you go, what do I do? Uh, do what you're supposed to do today. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And you'll be in the right spot to start tomorrow. So, yeah, but I need my 20-year plan. Okay, well, I'm hoping a rapture is within 20 years. That's my 20-year plan. All right, so until then, just keep trying. All right. Oftentimes we think, well, you know, I'm going to be able to, to, I don't really know what God wants. I don't know what he wants. He put his spirit in you 
so that you can go ahead. The reality is He wants Christ to do the work. All the heavy lifting is Him. You ever notice when you're trying to do stuff, how complicated it is? How difficult everything seems to be? How the day always seems 20 times longer than it's supposed to be and the job is 40 times harder than you thought. And then you go, all right, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Something doesn't seem to be going right. And the Lord said, that's because you just didn't talk to me first. And you go, oh. (laughs) And you pause and you talk to him and you go, Lord, what what are we going to do? And he gives you something totally different. And your day doesn't go the way that it was going to go because you stopped going your way and chose to live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the situation we're in. The situation we're in is when you look to your flesh, Romans chapter 7, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. In our flesh, Paul even is looking around going, I can't do this in my flesh. He was great, yeah, but when he gets in his flesh, he's and he calls himself the chiefest of sinners. That's who we all are when we decide we're not going to do and listen and work in the faith of the Son of God and have Jesus Christ go ahead and lead us. So why did he put that spirit inside of us? Because if he doesn't, you and I won't be able to do anything. And he wants glory. He wants blessing. He wants to bless you. We'll get to that. But you need to trust him. It makes it so that when you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and he speaks to you, you make the change. It's getting used to understanding when God is speaking to you, And the Bible is open and you're looking and he won't go contrary to Scripture, so you better go in that book. And Christ and you start speaking and you go, oh, that's what I need to do now. I can almost guarantee I won't. I won't have you raise your hands again. I almost guarantee everybody in the room, if you're saved in here, the Lord has spoken to you, you knew it, and either you did it or you didn't do it. But you knew when he spoke. You went, oh, yeah. Say, what is that? That's Christ in you. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to stop listening to your flesh and your mind and all the thought processes that you have and the great logical brain that you've got. And he's going, okay, this is what I need. And it's the question of will you walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? We'll get to that in a moment. Look over at Philippians chapter 1. The situation is that we oftentimes, especially after we've been saved for a long time, our answer is, I've done all this, I know how this goes, so I'm going to just do what I know I'm supposed to do. When you first got saved, there was a lot more reliance on Christ. Because you didn't know what you were doing. You had no idea what he did. You have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea how to get any victories. And people keep telling you, well, read the Bible. So you did. And they kept telling you, well, you need to pray, so you did. And you got to come to church, so you did. And you started doing those things. And now today, sadly, most of the time it is, I'm coming to church because that's what I do. I'm up preaching a message because I'm the pastor, that's what I do. We we had Sunday school. I taught Sunday school and uh, that's what I do. 
Well, I, I, I went out soul winning this week because that's what we do. And it becomes more of an, just an automaton walking through, doing what I do. Instead of it being Christ in you, the hope of glory. Instead of it Him having control and leading and guiding, you go, nope, I can shut you off because I already know what to do. That's a scary spot. Because all that is, is that is my self-righteous, cleaned up, act like I have everything under control, flesh going, I got it, I don't need you. Let me back up just one more time. John chapter 15, verse number 5, without me ye can do nothing. So, let's try that again. We come to church and we go, well, this is what I do. You realize you've just got nothing. Went out soul winning. You got nothing. You went to the street corner. You got nothing. You taught Sunday school. You got nothing. You did this. You got nothing. 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 You say, yeah, but I accomplished. Oh, he's going to bless his word. That's what he does. But you? You didn't do anything there. You profited. Unprofitable servants. Because without me, you can do nothing. You could go to Romans chapter 8. We won't take a time, but at flesh and the spirit and doing the things that you're supposed to do and you're in the spirit. And if you're in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, Romans chapter 8, you're not in the flesh if the spirit of God dwelleth in you. That's where it's supposed to be. You and I aren't supposed to walk around in the flesh. We're supposed to crucify that flesh. And then we're supposed to walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's why Christ is in you. Because without Him, you can't do that. How do you walk in this? A lost man doesn't know what it means to walk in the Spirit. He doesn't know how to. But the Christian ought to. Philippians chapter 1. In verse number 21, you have the situation that ultimately without Christ doing the work, you and I will get nothing accomplished truly. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 21, Paul makes this statement, for, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ, His life. You know, the, you know the deal, right? I mean, everybody has these statements, right, where uh, they look at somebody and they go, well, you know, hunting, that's his life. Fishing, that's his life. Oh, you know, sh- sh- I don't know what ladies do. Anyways, right? Boy, knitting is her life. There you go, Sylvia, right? Cross, crocheting and knitting, that's her life. Oh, you know, taking care of the kids. Those kids are her life. Oh, going ahead and, and, and it's over and over again. Could it be said of you that Christ is your life? That if someone looked at you, they said, you know what they are? They're just all about Jesus. Every time he comes around, every time she comes around, she just can't stop talking about her Savior. Boy, they're annoying. 
Just keep talking about Jesus for some reason. See, the problem is there's no steadfastness. We don't hold the spot we're supposed to hold. We understand. See, if Christ was leading and if Christ was guiding and if Christ, if we were crucified to the flesh and we were walking in the Spirit, you know what we'd talk about? Oh, the Holy Spirit's job is only one job. He doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Christ. That's his job. And in doing so, he reproves the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And he goes ahead and he uses you and I to go ahead and reprove a world. Much like Noah stands there and he preaches the gospel of his day. Not our gospel anyways. Right? He stands there and he's a preacher of righteousness. And he's preaching and he's telling them to get in the boat. People don't get in the boat. And he becomes ultimately... He becomes the ruin of that world because he's in direct contrast to what the world is doing. And he condemns the world, it says. Would that be said of you? Well, if Christ is in you, you know what it should be? It should give you a steadfastness. A steadfastness to preach the gospel. A steadfastness to give the counsel of the truth of the Bible. A steadfastness to go ahead and be a witness and a testimony all day, every day. It's strange because we think that if we, you know, aren't at church or we aren't at visitation or we aren't at street preaching or a Bible handout or whatever, if we're not doing that, then we get to be regular. Well, I just, I, I just don't want to talk to anybody. Where's your steadfastness? We, we like to be excitable in here. We like to shout praise God in the middle of that dwelling in Beulah land. And we, we like to do this. And we like to do, we get, we get excited that everybody else is excited. But in your day to day, oftentimes that flesh starts rising back up. We don't crucify him and we go, I don't want to be known as Christ. But Christ is the one who gave you life. And Christ is the one you need to resign to. And if you resign to the Spirit of God that He put inside of you, you know what you'll have? You'll have a steadfastness that is unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hey, look, it's not nothing because it's not in vain. That was 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. if you're curious. You know what I like about Paul? Philippians chapter 3, just a page over for me. This is an amazing passage, especially when you think of who Paul is. And you get to verse, I'm going to jump down to verse 3 just a little bit. He says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence, look at that, in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul goes, you could have confidence in your flesh. I got you beat. <laughs> I'm better than you. That's right. That's what he's saying. I'm better than you. I, got, I can have more confidence than anybody else in my flesh. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, 
blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now he said, all that greatness in my flesh, all the wonder that I was, that's loss. I don't need any of that. Why? I've got Christ. I don't need to trust in my flesh. I don't need to put confidence over there. I am not great, but he is. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency. Notice what he wants. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not though as I, I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that, if that I may apprehend that for which I also, uh, also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's going, look, all that stuff, all those things everybody thought was great, all those things the world touts, my education and my greatness and how good I was and how pure I was and how zealous I was and how amazing I was, all of that is a pile of manure. The greatness that everybody thinks of me as, the greatness that you had as a reputation, the wonderment is a big pile of manure. And he says, you know what? If that's your life, then you've got manure. But Christ is my life. And everything I want is to know Him and gain the knowledge of the excellency of Christ Jesus my Lord all I want is to be closer to Him. All I want is to know everything I can about Him. All I want. Why did God put that Spirit in you to lead and guide you into all truth? He wants you to know Him. Do we fail? Of course we fail. We all raise our hands. We're a bunch of failures. We don't do it perfect. Paul goes, neither have I apprehended. I haven't, I'm not perfect. That's his statement. I'm not perfect. But you know what I am? I am pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. How can I press toward that? Because you have Christ in you. If you didn't, you couldn't do it. You're not going to turn over a new leaf. You're not going to make yourself feel better. You're not going to make everybody else look good. And, you know, you're just going to be so wonderful and help everybody. That's not how you're going to be. It's either going to be Christ in you and it's going to be worth something or it's a pile of manure. Ladies, you're over there cross-stitching and knitting, and it's just manure. Got your hands just right in the manure. Some of you foodies are me, right? Oh, I got this amazing rest. I got some amazing things, right, Brother Andrew? We talked about it, right? But if that's your life, you know what that is? You're just cooking up manure. If that's your life, that's your life, man. You just put the next round in, in the chamber and that's just a big pile of manure. It's going to stink coming flying out. I, isn't that what Paul says? If that's your life, 
If that's what you want to be known as, okay, have it. But you're eating manure burgers and you're, you're going ahead and playing around in a big pile of manure. That's your life in the eyes of God. He didn't save you to live like that. He put Christ in you. Why? So that Christ could be your life and you could learn all about Him and tell everybody about Him. And you go, well, I'm not perfect. Look around. It's a room of imperfect people. That God goes ahead and takes and makes some vessels meet for the Master's use. And then He puts Himself inside there and He says, okay, let's go do something. Let's go do something. Say, well, I can't do everything. Neither can anybody else. But boy, you could do something. Say, how can you do something? Because He put Christ in you. Let's look over Colossians 3. I'm almost done. The situation is God put Christ in you so that you could get your victories and get the right stand and do all the right things because in your flesh you couldn't do it. Because without Him you can do nothing. And so then He needs to make sure you got to be steadfast. you got to hold with Him. And be willing to go, hey, you know what? I'm going to forsake some other things so that I can have Him because I want Him. You go, well, yeah, but it's not fun. That's because you haven't met Him very long. If you don't think it's fun, then you're doing it wrong, I think. I don't know. You ought to check in and find out what's fun. There's a lot of fun things to do. And so you get to Colossians chapter 3. And as we're steadfast in our walk with Him, and He becomes our life, you know what we find? We find some great satisfaction. I'm going to read a slightly longer passage than normal. Verse number 12 all the way through the end of the chapter here of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3.12, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. I'm going to pause right there uh, just for a moment. Uh, I'll jump down here and then I'll come back. Uh, I'm, what I'm getting to is all the way down to verse number 24. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. There's a reward, there's a satisfaction to this. But you get to verse 12 all the way down there to verse 15, you know what you find? That your attitude is called into question. What are you gonna, how do you treat everybody else? How do you feel about everybody else? Well, I don't like them. Okay, well, forgive them. I don't want to forgive them. You don't know what they did. Okay, forgive them as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. How'd Christ forgive you? Go ahead and forgive them that way. And you're like, well, I didn't do anything terrible to Christ. Do we need to recount? Are you good with 280,000 and we won't try and go any further? Right? We're pretty much terrible. Okay, we mistreat him constantly. And his answer is, yeah, but I'll forgive you again. Well, yeah, but you don't know what they've done. They crucified him. Are we really going on par here? Are we, you know, I mean, you talk about character assassination. They character assassinated and then they assassinated. They did both. 
they lied about him and trumped up the charges and made him look like he was a blasphemer and a liar and a charlatan and everything else so that they could put him up on that cross, nail him, and kill him. I'm sorry, you have not gotten there yet. And his only statement about the matter is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But don't worry, I'm sure that doesn't... Now, I'm not meaning you're not hurt, of course. But you need to find a way in Christ because you aren't going to get it yourself. You're going to need Christ to be able to help you forgive people who have hurt you and wronged you. And the cuts are deep and the bitterness is there and the unforgiveness is there and the emulate and the, and the envy and the strife and the all of it is piled up and you're going I just want revenge and God goes you don't get revenge you get to forgive them and let me worry about the rest and Christ in you is the only way that the peace of God can rule in your hearts that's the only way the only way you can have an attitude, you look at some folks and you go, how have they dealt with that? How can they stay humble through that? How can they take that punishment again? How can they take that again? How can that go on in their life and they not get just mad at God and angry at God and a complete mess and a complete train wreck? I'll tell you, because Christ in you, the hope of glory. If it is not in there, you do not have it and you will not win. But with it in there, you can gain every victory that is possible. And with God, all things are possible. And then there's this in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's an admonishing that you're supposed to do. You know what's really hard for people sometimes? They see other people hurting they see other people in trouble. They see other people having issues. And they go, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, how do I help? A lot of times, you know what the answer is? Be real quiet. And walk up and just say this. And mean it. I love you and I'm praying for you. That's it. We don't need a soliloquy on Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and how everything's good and it's going to be wonderful and God's going to work it all out. They know that. They aren't thinking about that, right? They're hurting too much to think about that. In a day or a week or a month, that verse will matter. But today, you know what matters? Am I standing here alone with nobody else to help me? And the answer is, no, you're not alone. I'm here I love you. I'm praying for you. If I can do anything, let me know and leave it at that. You don't need to be great and come up with some wonderful thing to say. Sometimes that is all the wonder that they need. They just need to know somebody cares. And you can go, well, Jesus cares. Come on. Of course. They know all those things. They know all those verses. You know what they need? They need to know that somebody in this life cares what happens to their soul. Wasn't that the complaint? No man cared for my soul. They get in distress. They're discontented. They're discouraged. They go to David and David goes, okay, I'll be a captain. And he gets his mighty men out of people who are distressed, discontented, and they're in debt. <laughs> and he picks them up and he raises them up to be some mighty men. Why? Because they knew they had somebody that cared. What could I do? 
just care. Above all these, put on charity. And then the admonition comes. Admonish them, encourage them. Send them, send them a nice song that, that was encouraging to you in your troubles. Notice that's all music. That wasn't even a verse of scripture right there. Teaching and admonishing one another in the word of God and giving them the right... No. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Music ministers to the hurting heart more than probably anything. And then he says in verse number 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. This whole passage here is all the actions that you're taking. It is, it is the, uh, the, whole, the whole gambit of everybody really ultimately that there are. Uh, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. All right, now we know whatever we're going to do, we're going to do to the glory of God. So wives, you can submit your to your husbands even when they're dumb. I already heard pastor talk about this in Sunday school, right? You can already go ahead and you can submit even though they're jerks and they're terrible and they're awful. Why? Because you love the Lord. Say, well, why should I submit? Because you love the Lord. If, if your action's right, it's because you love the Lord. You're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it for that lousy loser. Right? I mean, they're a loser. Right? They aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They're living, they're living in their flesh. They're wicked. They're terrible. They're awful. Right? They're not walking in the Spirit. If they were, they'd be doing right, and they'd love you, and they'd be taking care of you. But because they're a lousy jerk, and they're terrible, and they're awful, you know what you do? You go, well, I'll submit because I'm submitting to Him. It's my Savior that I'm going to be right with. Because I'm not going to ruin my relationship with my Savior just because somebody else is a jerk. And so we stay in line. Gentlemen, love your wives. Why? And be not bitter against them. Well, I'd never be bitter at my wife. What about when she's better at stuff than you? You can't tell me your wives aren't better at stuff than you. I know. Bitter and envious and all the things. And how come? Those wives, they've got some skills that you and I just don't have. And people get bitter and they drag their wife down and they don't love her and they don't help her and they don't encourage her. And they, don't, they go ahead and they start pulling down everything because they know if she feels like she's better than me, then she's probably going to try and run the house. Not if she loves the Lord. You'd be a great man if you could figure out how to love your wife. Well, I don't know if I can love her. I mean, we've had a lot of problems. Okay, well, do you love him? Isn't he in you? Well, then you can love her. Well, she doesn't treat me well. She doesn't submit. Maybe if you love her, she'd submit, but it doesn't matter. Because either you're going to fall out of love with Jesus Christ, and you're going to stay out of it, and you're not going to go ahead and choose to love him, and you're going to do things your way, and you're going to walk in the flesh, and you're going to have a pile of manure for your family. Or you'll have Christ in you, and you'll do it His way, and you'll love your wife. 
and you'll put away the bitterness and you'll forgive her. And it'll help her make it easy to love you because you're not as big of a loser. All right? You're not living over there anymore. You start living over here, you know what you're not? You're not a loser in the eyes of God. You start walking in Christ, you know what you are? You're the greatest victor that will ever be. He says you're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. You, live, you walk in the Spirit, you know what you'll be? You'll be more than a conqueror. You walk in the flesh, you know what you'll be? A loser. We have too many losing days, gentlemen. Too many. He looks at the children, he says, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> or this is well-pleasing uh, unto the Lord. Uh, children, you love the Lord? Well, my parents, they just don't understand. Doesn't matter if they understand. Do you love the Lord? Well, then submit to your parents. Well, yeah, but they don't want to do what I want. You sound like my two-year-old. No, I don't want to. Okay, too bad. This is what we're doing. Right? That's what you do when they're that small. Obey your parents and the Lord. I don't want to. Okay, now you're acting like a two-year-old. You're going back into diapers? What are we doing here? Why? Because you need to go ahead and listen. Say, but I don't, they don't understand. Maybe it's you that doesn't understand. I know you know everything. <laughs> Been around a little bit longer. They've seen the dangers that you have no idea are out there. Maybe you ought to trust them. Maybe you ought to trust that God has put your parents in the place that they are so that you don't have the problems that you would have otherwise. He says in verse 21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. I'm trying not to preach this whole passage, but it's hard. Provoke them to anger. You know what you do? You discourage them. I see too many discouraged kids around. Not necessarily our church kids. But boy, I've seen a lot of them. They're discouraged. Why? Because they're just constantly fighting. And their parents just, I mean, the dad does the same thing he does to the wife. He sees the greatness that they could be and the potential they could be, and he wants to make them just as terrible as he is instead of raise them up to some greatness and be better than he is. Such insecurity. Such frailty. If you're a man like that, I want you to know you're no man at all. Stand there and rip apart your family just because. It's a sad reality. And you know what you'll be left with? A pile of manure. He says in verse 22 to the servants, you work a job, you say, what do you got to do? Obey in all things and not just when they're watching. Because God's watching, and He's the better master. And so you know what you do? Well, I love the Lord. You know what you do? You work hard. You'll do your best. You'll do your best to go ahead and get everything done, and when you got nothing to do, you go find something to do. It's a good way to do it. You do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. You do things for men, you know what you'll, you'll do? You'll quit. You'll quit. They'll do something you don't like and you'll quit. But if you do things 
in Christ, you know what you'll be? Someone who doesn't quit. Someone who fights for their family, who fights for the job, who goes ahead and works and does what they're supposed to do, and they do it well. And they do the best they can. Say, yeah, but I'm not perfect. Nobody is. Nobody is. But you ought to be the best worker you can be. Get to verse number 24. Why should I do all of that, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ? But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. You need to acknowledge something. Say, so what do you need to acknowledge? That everything is about the Lord Christ. It's all about Him. Whether you're working at, at the store or you're working at the shop or you're working over there or you're doing this or you're doing that, whatever you're doing, whether you're working in the yard or you're fixing dinner, whether you're walking in and buying your groceries, pumping gas at the gas pump, whether you're doing the biggest job you've ever done or you're doing something so insignificant nobody even would notice it's happening. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Why? Because He's watching and He wants to reward. You do it right, you know what you get? You get a reward. I don't know about you, but I like rewards. <laughs> I, like to be, I like to be paid for when I work. Amen? Right? That's what you like. You don't... You're not like, oh, hey, yeah, free labor. I'm going to work a 40-hour work week for you and uh, work as hard as I possibly can. And at the end of the day, uh, I just did that all for free. No, you go, I want my paycheck. Why? So that I can pay my bills and live and have food for my family and take care of this. And Why do we do that? Well, at the end of the day, you know what you've done? You go ahead and you've made it. Ultimately, God has made an agreement with you. And this is the agreement. You ready for this? This is insane. I'm going to put me in you. I'm going to do all the work. You're going to get all the credit. That's the agreement. Isn't it Christ in you? Isn't it he that worketh? Isn't it by the faith of the Son of God? Isn't it I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? Isn't without me you can do nothing? Isn't it him that does all of it? And then at the end of the day, he goes, but if you'll let me do it, I'll reward you for letting me do it. Now, I don't know about you, but if you got to work a job where you didn't have to work and somebody else did all your work for you and you got paid the same amount as if you got all the work done yourself, that's a good deal. Kind of like what they're doing with these, you know, work from home, right? You can work three or four jobs from the same computer, so you work at the, right? So you're making three incomes instead of just one, but you're really not working for anybody. You're just working for you. But boy, in Christ, he goes ahead and gives you the plan, lets you execute the plan, and he gives you the strength to do the plan, and gives you all the wisdom to have so you can accomplish the task that he's given you and he told you the way to go so you don't get damaged when you get there and he's got all the pieces put together for you and he says okay all you gotta do just let me lead 
And at the end, you know what I'll do? I'll have a pile of gold, silver, precious stones. I'll have, a, I'll have a beautiful mansion for you. I'll have a robe you can wear. I'll put a crown upon your head and you can be a king with me and you'll reign for a thousand years with me and you can go ahead and have an eternity with me in greatness and you'll get all the glory. But too many of us live with our pile of manure. He says, I'll give you your reward. Here's your wood your hay and your stubble. And I'll leave you with a pile of ashes that blow away in the wind. And you'll be left with nothing because without me, you can do nothing. That's what you'll be left with. So why did he put Christ in me? He put Christ in you because it's the only way you can live the Christian life. You can't live it without him. So you need him. You need him to be in you. That's the situation. You can't do it without him. So that gives you the steadfastness to stand when all the things go wrong and everything else is crazy. And you know what he says? He says, okay, but if you do that, I got, I've got all the rewards you could possibly need. You'll be satisfied with what I've got for all of eternity. He's an amazing God. And the fact that he has made this so foolproof is proof of how much he loves you. Let's go ahead and stand. If you're lost in here, you trusted Christ as your Savior. Now's the time we're going to call an invitation. We're going to invite people to come. They're going to come down to the altar. They're going to go ahead and, and some may come and some may pray and, and some may just need to deal with the Lord and talk to Him. But maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and the idea of Christ in you has no bearing on you. You'd like to know about having your sins forgiven forever because you don't know that heaven's your home for all of eternity. We'll invite you to come and get my attention. We'll open up a Bible and we'll show you out of the Word of God how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. And that it's taken care of once and for all. And Christ will come in you. You say, well, I can't live the Christian life. Nobody can. But if you'd be willing to come, he'll help you. He'll help you do it. Let us show you how you can know you have your sins forgiven. And you can trust Jesus Christ this morning. Christian, you know what to do. Maybe you've been struggling with that flesh and the spirit. And you haven't been walking in the spirit. You've been filling, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And you just need to go, Lord, I'm sorry. I just need to refocus. And I need to get my... My mind in order, I need to start resting and trusting and walking in you. Father, I do thank you for the morning. I thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray if someone is lost in here, they'd come to the Savior today. Father, I pray this was a help and a blessing and an encouragement to those who are saved in here and want to be known as a Christian, want their life to be Christ. I pray they got the courage and the encouragement to be able to do so. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.